Hello, and welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. It's Thursday, September 17th, 2020. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano, the founder and executive director of the museum. And I'm joined by your other host, the amazing Liz Pollack, our vice president. Hello, Liz. Hi, Sam. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about prosthetic design, specifically advancements that utilize sensors and robotics to improve the lives of individuals living with limb loss and limb difference. I'm very excited for this week's guests. Our guest co-host is a longtime friend of the Design Museum who helped us develop our traveling exhibition on prosthetic design. Mike Benning is the marketing manager at Hanger Clinic, which is the largest prosthetic and orthotic provider in the United States. Mike was the first American to be fitted with the iLim Quantum, an advanced bionic hand, which we'll talk a lot about today. And uh, very excited that our special guest is the inventor of the iLim, David Gao. Uh, David and Mike are coming together for the first time ever, which is pretty neat. Uh, and David will be joining us from Scotland. Before we jump in, though, Liz, Design Night Live is just two days away. I know. Yes. Design Night Live is almost here. Uh, we already opened our silent auction on our website. And I have to say, we're seeing the beginnings of some bidding wars here, which oh. I, re I really love. <laughs> um, there's some really cool items in there. Um, that I know are going to be super popular. We've got, you know, everything from a new home office makeover to custom house dog designs, uh, which were actually recently featured in Oprah Magazine, which is incredibly cool, uh, and some really amazing one-of-a-kind experiences. So uh, the the silent auction alone is something to participate yes. in, even if you can't attend the event. Um, and if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, definitely make sure you, you go online and get those because we will be closing res registration early. Um, and I don't want you to, you know, miss out and not be able to participate. So just go to designnetlive.org to get your tickets um, or to check out the silent auction. Uh, yeah, all in all, I can't wait for Saturday. Uh, we have the writer, co-executive producer, and production designer of Little Fires Everywhere uh, doing the keynote presentation. We're going to learn how to make a diamond-covered sushi roll. <laughs> uh, we're going to explore you know, the magic of live sketching. And all of this is going to happen in just one night uh, and so much more. So really looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, just a couple days away. Oh my gosh. I don't know how you've packed in so many awesome experiences into this virtual event, but you have. And I'm super excited for all of them. Somehow I'm going to make my way into everything. Um, <laughs> the magic of being the executive director, I guess. Um, That's right. But yeah, listeners, get your tickets and join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. On to this week's topic. In early 2018, we unveiled a new exhibition from the Design Museum in collaboration with the Pacific Northwest College of Art called Bespoke Bodies, the Design and Craft of Prosthetics. The traveling exhibition explores the relationship between craft, design, material, and the human body. And personally, I can't think of any design more impactful than the design that we connect directly to our bodies. We had been traveling this exhibition around the US prior to COVID-19, for now, you can see a great video about the exhibition on our website, and we'll post a link on the episode page. As we developed the exhibition during a time of incredible advancements in robotics and sensors, our partners often mentioned that prosthetics were becoming more complex, and hence design was critical to make the new technology more human-centric. One of our amazing partners in this effort to curate and develop the Bespoke Bodies exhibition was Mike Benning from Hanger Clinic. Mike Benning is a champion for the limb loss and limb difference community. As marketing manager at Hangar, he collaborates with multiple business segments to manage their national event sponsorships and their patient ambassador program. 
He also works with the internal marketing team on creative projects and communications. As I mentioned, uh, he's a prosthetic device user. He uses the iLim device, which I'm hoping and I know he's going to tell us all about. Mike, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Oh, Sam, thank you for the kind introduction. This is great to be back with you guys. Yeah, we missed you. I missed you guys too. You know, we <laughs> I just remember our collaboration with the Bespoke Bodies exhibit, both in Portland and in Boston, um, and just the impact that it had on so many people in both in both cities. Um, you know, so hats off to you and your team for oh, everything you. that you guys did. I know you're thankful to Hanger Clinic, but you know, you guys were the boots on the ground and we appreciate everything that you guys did. It was an awesome exhibition and remains awesome. And we will travel it again <laughs> once this is all over. And I, and I really, I can't wait for that. Yeah. Um, and thank you. Uh, so to start, I feel like Liz and I know a lot about you and a lot about Hanger from our awesome partnership, but can we start, um, can you tell our audience more about Hanger Clinic and what you all do for folks? Hanger Clinic is the United States largest provider of prosthetics and orthotics. We have over 800 clinics around the United States. We employ over 5,000 people in the industry. We have the largest assortment of clinical talent in the industry. We are a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. And um, it's a, what a great environment it is to be working in this community uh, as somebody with upper limb loss. Um, you know, I know we'll get into my story in a little bit, but totally. um, it's really a neat place to work. And I mean, I've just seen the impact of what you all have done for folks in really changing their lives. I mean, it's incredible. These, I mean, that's where it's like the impact of your work just must be, I'm sure you feel it as a prosthetic device user, but you, I'm sure you hear it from other patients as well. I'm fortunate in that I get to see both sides of the um, of the table here, and that I'm I've been a hanger clinic patient since I was 14, but now as a hanger clinic employee, I'm able to go back into the prosthetic lab and see how these prosthetic devices are made, and all the 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 work and the work the the labor that goes into building a custom prosthesis that fits really well on a patient and works really well. And, you know, having, having witnessed somebody take their first steps after an amputation or operate their first upper limb prosthetic device, those are special days that I get to see mm -hmm. regularly. And those are special days that our clinicians get to see. We never lose sight of that. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. We want to hear about your uh, prosthetic device, the iLim, of course, but I wonder if you could share your story. I know you've utilized a number of devices, you know, through your life. Um, and yeah, I wonder if you could tell us about them. My goodness. Um, you know, yeah. Um, now we're 41 years into the game, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to believe uh, now at 55 years old uh, that I lost my arm to cancer at age 14. I've been a hanger clinic patient ever since. And uh, yeah, the devices that I wore um, when I was 14 years old and when I was in college and then when we had children are, you know, so different than what I'm wearing today. The first device that I had was a body powered hook. Um, it still works great to this day. Um, <laughs> it's in my closet. I use it for 
presentations to the medical community. This is a, this is a great device. Um, super durable, super, it's waterproof. Um, I was working on the driving range at the time. And, you know, if you can imagine uh, me driving that tractor around the field, this is the tractor that everybody wants to hit. And I have this body powered hook that's, that's grabbing onto the steering wheel as I'm driving around this field and, you know, dodging golf balls <laughs> <laughs> in a, in a tractor covered with a cage. Uh, that was me out there. And, you know, this body powered hook would be used to lift crates of golf balls out of the, um, the trailer and dump them into the ball washer and they'd get clean and I'd get dirty and, um, I'd get wet and, but you know what? Great device for that stage of my life. And then I got off to college. I paid my own way through school at Arizona State. And um, my needs in college were much different than my needs working on the driving range. So the design of my prosthesis needed to change with me. And we added a locking elbow so that I could deliver pizzas and pay my way through college. And think about, like, I have a very short residual limb. And... Um, the leverage that I needed to hold five pizza boxes on that forearm, I needed something that was going to be strong and robust, and I didn't have it with my residual limb. So we added a locking elbow unit so that I could have, so that I could pay my way through school. Yeah. <laughs> um, Do the job. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that was very, very important uh, design feature that I added, that we added in college. And uh, then... You know, uh, boy, let's see. I think it was, yeah, when we had kids, um, you know, I was terrified about having kids, you guys. Um, you know, how how was I going to change a diaper with a body-powered hook? You know, was this going to, um, you know, scratch my baby or a uh, writhing baby in the middle of the night on a changing station? And I've got one arm. And um, I was really nervous and scared about it. And so I went back to Hanger Clinic and said, guys, my needs have changed again. What do we got? And so we changed it to a body powered hand. So as opposed to the hook that everybody's seen, we changed it to a body powered hand. And when I talk about body powered, body powered means I have a set of straps that go over my shoulder and um, are secured under my sound side arm. And I push my residual limb forward to operate that device. So it's push forward to open and pull back to close. And that's the mechanism to open and close your body powered hook or your body powered hand. So, you know, we switched over to a body powered hand when we had children and, um, my fears were um, minimized. I was able to hold my baby and I was able to change diapers. Everything was fine. And uh, my daughter, she's now 18 and my son is 17. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and I'm going to save a little bit of the story for a little bit later because I know we're going to talk about uh, the evolution of prosthetics, but um, you know, yeah, that's my journey you. so yeah. far. Thank yeah. you for sharing. It's so great. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to have you tell us about, about the ILM. And, you know, since we're in this audio format, <laughs> kind of <laughs> like, you know, if you could take people through it about, you know, what does it look like? How does it feel? Um, how do you use it? Sure, Liz. Um, so, you know, the question is, how does, how does it feel to wear a prosthesis? 
I think the best way I can describe how it feels to wear a prosthesis is for an able-bodied person, it would be like wearing a cast. So imagine you break your wrist and you have to wear a cast for nine months or, you know, six months or whatever it may be. That's how it feels to wear a prosthesis or that's how it used to feel to wear a prosthesis. There's new socket technology and a socket is the actual part that comes in contact with someone's residual limb. So the, there's new socket technology that's made out of silicone. So imagine going from a plaster of Paris cast around your limb or a plastic cast around your limb to this soft and pliable silicone material that conforms to the shape of your limb so much better than what used to be. So, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's more than just the, the devices that are attached to the prosthesis. It's where it connects to the body. That's so, so important. And that's where hanger clinic has come in for me and, um, you know, keeping me, uh, abreast of the latest socket technology. And that's been super important. The design of the eye limb, um, it looks like a hand and it operates as close to a hand as you can get uh, right now in the prosthetic world. It has individually moving fingers. Um, it has a movable thumb that can move electronically or um, manually. So I can pre-position the thumb with my other hand. Um, it has a movable wrist unit. Um, so I can pre-adjust the wrist into uh, a number of different flexed positions or extended positions. Um, and then as far as operationally goes, how does the iLIM operate? Well, the iLIM operates via um, electrodes that rest on my skin and pick up very subtle uh, electrical activity from the muscles that are underneath my residual limb or underneath my skin. Uh, really, really impressive that, that I can flex my forearm. You know, if you take, if you make a fist and bend your wrist towards, um, towards your body, uh, that's what I do to close my hand. And then if you take that and extend your wrist towards, uh, the window, you know, not away from or away from your body. So if you take your wrist and move it away from your body, that's how I open the hand. So it's very, very simple as opposed to pushing my, like with a body powered device, um, where I pushed to open and pulled back to close. This is actually operating with muscle impulses that are much more intuitive than a body powered device. I'd love to hear about how the ILM has kind of changed the way that you interact with the world. First of all, the intuitive nature of this of the operation of this device makes it so much easier for me to get things done over the course of the day. So I think about how I used to operate the body powered device. It was a very physical uh, motion, you know, uh, you know, move your arm two inches forward to stretch a cable, to open the hook. And now it's merely flexing a muscle in my forearm or flexing two muscles in my forearm. So as a result, I come home at the end of the day, I'm fresher at the end of the day. I'm not as eager to take off my prosthesis as I used to be. 
Um, and consequently, I'm wearing my prosthesis longer into the day. And I think a great way to judge how long I'm wearing is I'm actually using it to brush my teeth at night. And, you know, like if I can stretch it out that long into the day, man, you know, that tells me I'm getting a lot of use out of it. Yeah. What have you, so I'm sure, you know, other users of of the ILIM, um, maybe you could share another story um, of someone who is using the device. You know, I met a guy who um, had the same type of cancer and had the same level of amputation. And my type of cancer was very rare. So to meet this guy um, was really phenomenal. And he wears the eye limb as well. And our stories were practically identical as far as how the eye limb changed our lives um, and what we were able to do. We were at... We were at a raw bar in Boston, and both of us were walking through um, the uh, the oyster bar with plates in our eye limb, balancing these <laughs> balancing these small platefuls of oysters. And you know, oysters will slip around on the um, on the table or on the on the plate. And uh, both of us are walking through, and we just kind of looked at each other and said. This is really cool. This is really awesome uh, to be doing this together. That's so cool. Um, and so it's customizable, right? It, it's can it you know it link to your to your smartphone or app? Um, I'd love to hear about how you can customize it. Yeah, Liz, the customization is pretty impressive. Um, and the great thing about the customization is that you know the the island has evolved since I first received it in 2012. And, um, you know, what it is now compared to what it was before, you know, I think when I got it in 2012, I think there was 15 different grip patterns. Now there's 24 different grip patterns and now there's 12 custom grip patterns that I can summon. And, um, and you can summon them in four different ways on an application on your phone or on your laptop. And to have that horsepower behind me um, to be able to summon a pincher grip, to hang posters in my daughter's bedroom, uh, to pinch a nail and uh, hang posters in my daughter's bedroom. I only need that grip once a year, but it's there. And (laughs) it was, uh, I mean, Touch Bionics has really thought of everything. (laughs) um, And they've listened. uh, They've definitely listened to my feedback and all the users' feedback over the years to make improvements in the design of this device. Yeah, that's so great. Thanks, Mike. This is great. Thank you for sharing your experience with us and the listeners. Um, Folks listening, check out the amazing work of Hanger Clinic. They are leading in so many areas in prosthetic care, and the stories from their patients clearly show the impact of their work. Uh, You can visit hangerclinic.com. And Mike, please stay with us. I will bring on David Gao, inventor of the Ilum, into the conversation. If you like Design is Everywhere, you'll love our upcoming special event, Design Night Live. Join us on September 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern for Design Night Live, 
a Saturday night filled with design sketches, games, prizes, familiar faces, a silent auction, and more. During this interactive virtual event, attendees from all over will come together to celebrate design, community, and innovation. We'll be sharing the vision and impact of Design Museum everywhere and hear from designers from around the world about the designs they can't live without. Join Design Museum on September 19th for a night filled with inspiring company, hands-on demonstrations, and incredible prizes. Tickets are just $60 and they include a year-long membership. Plus, Design Museum members attend for free. Get your tickets today at designnightlive.org. We're back and we're joined by a special guest. David Gao is the former head of smart devices at the National Health Service in the United Kingdom. In 2002, he spun out the first company from the NHS, which became Touch Bionics, and he invented the island prosthetic device we've been chatting about with Mike. So I'm excited to bring you two together. Uh, in 2014, David was appointed commander of the Order of the British Empire for services to upper limb prosthetics. Very excited. Uh, Dave is joining us from Scotland. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being here. So I'll start. Maybe you could share a bit about, and Mike, feel, also feel free to jump in because I know you're sharing some of your, but the state of prosthetics, even at that time as you're developing um, these, uh, you know, myoelectric devices, which we want to learn more about, but this is revolutionary, right? It, it wasn't happening at all, really, because I mean, I, I, in 2003, we founded Touch EMAS, as it was. Uh, and in 2004, we got the investment in from Archangels, Scottish um, and Edinburgh based uh, funding system. And they funded us enough to start it off. So we started off with, um, I won't see how much money it was because it wasn't much. <laughs> and we, uh, with me as chief executive of this one day a week. And, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. So we went away and did eight days a week work for it. But then we. Wow. Wow. I would, I would just love to hear more about um, basically what is the myoelectric technology and how does it work and if you could just explain that a bit from a user perspective it's quite simple you do this i flex the wrist in one direction and i extend it in an opposite direction and that makes the hand see two inputs one which can be used to the hand one can close the hand and um it comes it's just little muscle signals in the in the muscles of the body yeah, what picks up the signals i think that's, that's so interesting right it's like <laughs> the muscles the muscles contract and produce electrical spikes. Ah, okay. And they're microvolts. You, you don't even know. I mean, you're doing it now. All of, you, you're producing hundreds of volts, microvolts. <laughs> wow. And you, 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 you don't, you're not aware of it. You had one of those for opening the hand and one of those for closing the hand. So when the, you made a hand for someone, you made the socket, you had to allow for a place for the electrons, of course. I'd love to hear from you both. Um... Yeah, starting with you, David, of what you think the most important element of the design and the, the most important innovation, like was it, was it the myoelectric technology or was it something else? I, I don't think so. I think with the hand, it, it's, um, it's the fact that the motors and the gearboxes are placed, mm. in the finger, placed in the fingers. That is the key thing because we think about it. Then if you have a powered medium which is in the finger, you can fit a patient who's just got a 
hand almost up to the finger. Yeah, it's tough to say that there's one particular element that's most important as far as the design comes, but I think there are two important elements. Number one, a fit. If it doesn't fit, somebody's not going to wear it. And um, it's going to sit on the clo- it's going to sit in the closet. So number one, it's the fit, and number two, it's the functionality. The fact that um, I have a hand now that can grab around an irregularly shaped object with individual finger motors yeah. um, is life changing for me, as opposed yeah. to um, you know a split hook design or a, pow- a body powered ham, and that I can do this so easily with a t- with a flex of my wrist or a extension of my wrist. So, so important. So um, fit and function. I mean, my heart is pouring out to you and your team in Scotland and everybody that developed this product, David. Um, Man, this is life changing for me. When I got this hand in 2012, I was so afraid that I was going to fail. And um, when I, when my prosthetist poured out a cup of screws and nuts onto the exam table the night that I was fitted. And he says, take those screws and nuts and put them back into the cup. And this is within five minutes of getting fitted with this device. He says, put them back into the cup. And I was able to do that with ease and efficiency. Um, You know, big tip of the cap to everybody (laughs) uh, on your team. Well done. I. I think one one of the um, things that we concentrated on was finding a good body powered hook user who's going to who's ready for an electric hand with multi powered fingers, because a good body powered hook user can control anything. Actually, it's the best of the same best design ever. Hook. Well, that's fascinating to hear that. Um, you know, yeah, I was a, a body powered user for thirty four years before I was fitted with the myoelectric device. And um, I think that's important for people to understand that there is a progression, a a kind of a learning curve to this. And when I was first fitted with this device, yeah, I was able to have basic functionality right out of the box, but um, to, to really do some cool things. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm what, eight years into the, almost eight years into the game now with the myoelectric and I'm still learning new stuff every day. The fact that the hand has the ability to, to to wrap around things is purely coincidental. It's because all the all the motors are moving at one time, yeah. And therefore, anything get, it gets in its way stops. Anything doesn't get in the finger's way, finger goes on. That is one of the uh, best features that I like on the Touch Bionics hand is that the fingers do stall when they sense resistance. And mm. uh, as as uh, you know, the people on this call saw in the video screen. Now, I'm able to put my hand around a cup. Um, if I put it around the very bottom part of it, um, and the index finger and the middle finger stall when they feel the cup, but the two remaining fingers continue to close because the cup um, doesn't exist under mm. there. It's really, really neat to see um, how the design of this can uh, grab around an irregularly shaped object. So, you know, Mike shared this a bit, but I'd just be interested from your take, David, of how the design of the ILM has evolved since its, you know, invention. It hasn't really evolved much because I look at the hand now, I've got one in front of me here, I look at one hand, and I think about it and I think there's not much changed in, since 1994 when it was developed mm. as a concept. Mm-hmm. Took from 1994 to about 2002 to get really going. Of what's the future? And maybe for David, framing it around like, 
so if it hasn't evolved much, like what is the next step for the ILM or for prosthetics in general? As somebody that's been in, well, it was in prosthetics for 30 odd years, I mean, it was still be the same answer as I had when I was just starting out. It'll be the control of the hands. It'll be something, somebody comes along and people always see Discovery Channel doing a, a something like an operation on the brain and they get signals out and you can control the hand with it. That's right. It's, it's making a leap between that in the lab and making it control the hand. I see a lot of possibilities with the existing design of this hand uh, being able to evolve into a number of different uh, possibilities. First of all, I, I I will politely disagree with David in that uh, that this hand has evolved since uh, since I received it in 2012. Um, it's definitely become much more durable. Um, the touchscreen finger has been added to it. And uh, so that bilateral patients can uh, utilize this on a touchscreen device. Um, uh, but as far as the looks of it, uh, the looks are still the same, I think, uh, comparatively speaking. But um, it's definitely more durable. I can, um, it's, it's a little bit stronger. You know, I, I'm fortunate that I get to hear a little bit about the research that's going on in the field. I'm uh, controlling the device and um, the electrode system, the electrodes that rest on my skin right now. Uh, yeah, they're subject to perspiration. And when, you know, when you get a little bit of moisture in here, sometimes the device gets a little bit challenging to operate. Um, and if we think about, you know, the evolution of an, of an electrode, do we need it to rest on the skin anymore? And I've heard chatter that there is, um, you know, an implantable electrode that can transmit a signal via Bluetooth to the microprocessor in the hand. And wouldn't that be something if, yeah. um, if that becomes commercially available, uh, a, a Bluetooth uh, uh, electrode, that would mm -hmm. be awesome. Yeah, that's A cool. sense of touch would be really special. Sense to of touch, again. yeah. Um, you know, whether it's a sense of uh, how hard I'm gripping on to something or, yeah. um, you know, whether it's hot, cold. I, I know I, Hey, one of the benefits right now is that I can reach my hand into the oven and pull out a <laughs> tray of cookies. <laughs> but, um, yeah, certainly a sense of touch, uh, uh, electrode control. And I think you guys, uh, one of the other challenges that I have right now is that my mind still operates faster than the technology. Yeah. And, uh, when we think about moving our hand and how many different uh, degrees of functionality we have with our hand. And as I, uh, you know, uh, wave to the screen with my fingers right now, just think of how many different operations I'm going through to do that. So I would love to be able to have that kind of fine motor manipulation with my hand. Um, and I think at some point we will get there. We're a long way off, but, um, uh, my goodness, I, you know, Touch Bionics hand has individual finger motors. So the hardware's there. Yeah, yeah. The control like, system or the <laughs> yeah the signals, as David is talking about. Um, yeah. The thing about, the thing about the, the hand boards that it has more movements than it can do, do at the moment, which is a problem of when we built oh, it for, for safety. Okay. But yeah. if you build the hand with the way, the way it's done, if you free off some of those, some of those, uh, constraints of, of 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 grip, as it were, you'd be able to do as he suggests. Be able to experiment with it. A lot of people who were doing the kind of work on electronics used the touch bionics hand in the early days to 
move a hand that could move individual fingers, of course. So um, it was there as a tool for the lab as well as the hand thing. Hmm. That's really neat. How about other uh, devices for other limbs? What have you both seen in terms of like bringing a similar technology to um, lower limb uh, prostheses? Let's say artificial. Let's say artificial toes were were, were what you're developing. If they were absolutely um, as useful in theory as they are, yeah. Then if you had an artificial foot with individual toes and an ankle and all the movements it's got, you'd have more degrees of freedom to control mm. than you have, you know, control systems. Right. So oh, I don't a know. Limiting factor. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they do. Yeah. Hey, we're. In Boston, of course, and you know the, mm-hmm. the hotbed of research for uh, you know across the river in Cambridge, and uh, doing a lot of cool stuff. And I think the coolest thing that I've seen in lower limb prosthetics is the, and this is not commercially available yet, but um, is the ability to flex and extend one's ankle yeah. with uh, with similar technology. And um, I quite honestly, I don't know how it works, but I've seen <laughs> it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we saw it's, we had an event. Uh, it's magic. With, right? it's magic. It's magic. It is pretty awesome. In yeah. fact, um, and this is for our listeners too. We're writing our uh, a book on prosthetic uh, devices, and that that prosthesis is in it, the ankle. Yeah. Um, so you can learn more in the book. I, I, I look forward to reading that article as well, so I can better understand how it actually works. But it does. It's pretty magic, actually. Yeah, I mean, I saw a video of the gentleman. Uh, rock climbing in yeah. the Cayman Islands up a sheer face and being able to sneak this foot into a foothold by flexing or extending his ankle um, and getting it into that little toe hold made all the difference in his climb. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, more to come for sure. Thank you both uh, for sharing. And thank you, David, for joining us and Welcome. sharing your experience. And, and thank you, uh, for your contribution to the field. I know I see a lot of gratitude coming from Mike. I can just, it's coming through the screen. Um, so we appreciate you being here. Listeners, you can learn more about the ILIM from Touch Bionics online, and we will definitely post a link on our episode page. Now it's time for our weekly dose of good design, where we share an example of good design that has impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll start us off. Okay, so you all know I love space. Uh, So this week I am sharing a very simple logo design from NASA's Mars 2020 Perseverance rover mission. Uh, The 2020 mission launched on July 30th, carrying the Perseverance rover. Uh, and it's planning to get to Mars and land on the surface on February 18th. NASA wanted a symbol that captured the legacy of space travel and honored the engineers who worked on the mission. So they engaged House of Van Schneider to design the logo for the mission. First, that's a great name for a design firm. And uh, so it's the multidisciplinary design practice of Tobias Van Schneider. Uh, He's a super talented brand and digital designer. The logo is very simple, beautiful, and meaningful. It has three elements, a red circle symbolizing the red planet, Mars, uh, an abstract sort of like cubic shape uh, stacking that represents the rover, and a simple star that symbolizes planet Earth because 
for the rover on Mars, Earth will look like a star. And so all those things get combined to this really cool logo. Uh, here's my favorite line from the House of Van Schneider website. He says, the logo mark works as beautifully on the rover as it does on a 191 foot tall rocket ship. And I totally agree. And we'll post a link on our site so you can all check out the logo. Okay, Liz, you're up next. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Uh, so this week, I wanted to share a fun one that just kind of puts a smile on my face. And that's House Dog, which is a sustainable dog products brand out of Portland, Oregon. And the owner and designer, Angela Medlin, is featured actually in our We Design exhibition and has just been an incredible supporter of Design Museum. And uh, I was reaching, recently reaching out to her. And so she you know, generously donated some customized dog toy sets uh, for a silent auction for Design oh, Night Live. Nice. And uh, this, of course, prompted me to <laughs> jump on her website. And uh, I discovered, among many things, these beautiful new dog leashes, which she actually just came out with in September. And the unique thing about it is that the handle is actually this just like beautifully crafted wooden circle, which then can be worn on your arm, kind of like a bracelet or, you know, just makes it more flexible so you can use your hands or whatever it is, uh, which I just thought was incredibly cool. And I, I know that all dog owners who um, like our podcast and are listening right now will fall in love with them. So I'd highly recommend checking them out uh, if you have a dog, if you're um, a dog person. I think that House <laughs> dog has actually been featured in all sorts of publications like Oprah magazine and all sorts of other ones. So I think there's definitely kind of a dog loving following here, uh, yes. but also like a design following, <laughs> which I really love. So a combination of two things, uh, two things that I love. So wanted to share. Cool. All right, Mike, you're up next. You know, I think my weekly dose of good design top of mind is a commercial that my wife and I saw during the basketball playoffs a couple of weeks ago. And um, it's a commercial that involves uh, disabled individuals that uh, sudden, somehow morph into uh, able-bodied world-class athletes, that there's a split screen and uh, somebody tumbling on the beach with one leg becomes a gymnast in the Olympics or somebody kicking a soccer ball with one leg uh, turns into a World Cup soccer player. After I saw this commercial and my wife was sitting next to me, we both just looked at each other and said, that is just the most amazing thing we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like think about the creativity and the minds that went into developing that. And I just, I think there's so many aspects of design and creativity that are incorporated into that, um, you know, really hats off to Nike. Oh my for, gosh. Uh, they nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. I had goosebumps after that. It was just, just Wow. Oh, thank you. Thank you both. Those are both really good examples. And Mike, thanks for joining us. It was so thanks, nice guys. to have you. Great to work with you guys again. All right. That's our show for this week. Thank you all for joining us. And thank you again to Mike Benning and David Gao for sharing their experience and work with us. Yes. And I hope to see each and every one of you at Design Night Live on September 19th. Make sure to get your tickets today on our website at designnightlive.org. Yeah, it's going to be a super special night. I mean, this is how we can all kind of come together, socialize, even though we can't all be in the same room. And the team led by Liz has created an awesome experience. So yeah. I don't think it'll be like any virtual event that you've gone to. So I'm Not very excited. what I'm hearing. I think it's going to be pretty special. <laughs> yeah, super cool. Uh, we'd love to hear from you on social media. You can find us on Twitter. We're at design underscore museum. 
On Instagram, we're at Design Museum Everywhere, and you can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Yeah, and be sure to subscribe to Design Is Everywhere wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, you know, and more. That way you'll always be able to get the latest episodes. And while you're at it, give us a rating. That way it really helps people find our new show. This episode was written and edited by me, Sam Aquilano, and produced by Ryan Flom. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For Liz Pollock and the entire team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thank you, and we'll talk again next week. Bye, everyone.